Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Chan. Good evening. Today we are discussing chapter 47 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. This is the penultimate chapter. It's huge. It's 10 pages long and nothing happens and everything happens. They've arrived at Mansfield Tom is so excited to see Edmund. Lady Bertram is so excited to see Fanny. Susan is so excited to be there. Mrs. Norris is the only one who's still having a fit about everything. It seems like she's sliding into a depression. Edmund finally sits down and talks to Fanny after several days of avoiding her and goes into a really detailed account of his last meeting with Miss Crawford, which is heartbreaking he realizes she's not the person that he thought she was and he's so disappointed in her she thinks that their siblings weren't necessarily behaving badly but stupidly and he says that's the end of it i'm never gonna see her again and fanny manages to sneak in i think she was trying to get back with you because she thinks tom's gonna die the start of the chapter is about mrs norris and she is falling apart she had been unable to direct or dictate, or even fancy herself useful while everything was going on. She, Tom, and Lady Bertram were solitary, helpless, and forlorn. It's basically demonstrated in a real crisis, she's worse than useless. She likes to make crises. She'll make crises. She likes to think she's always portrayed herself as being the stalwart, the capable one the capable one but actually in the true crisis she has been of no value whatsoever i'm surprised that she's grouped in with the others here because i would imagine if she's really feeling this way she would have stayed at her house the whole time but this makes it seem like she has been at mansfield park yes it's not clear is it if she's actually at her house or at the uh, mansfield park maybe it was assumed by Sir Thomas, that she would be there to support her sister. And after all, she'd still like to save the money. (laughs) There's like three patients, not two. Mrs Norris is the most surprising patient because she always appeared so capable. Yes. She's so upset because Mariah was her favourite. And she's the one that pushed the marriage with Washworth. And in the blindness of her anger, she wants to charge Fanny as the demon of the peace. If she truly loved Mariah, she would have recognised that Rushworth was no match for her in spirit or intelligence. And while he had the money, she was not going to be happy with him. And she never really understood her own niece, the high-spiritedness. Which is exactly the conclusion Sir Thomas comes to in the next chapter. He realises he did not know either of his daughters. No, but he has an excuse. He's the father, and in those days, it was not uncommon for them to not be as familiar with their daughters. Particularly when you had two female characters, one of whom was very strong, who was always taking the lead. You'd expect her to play the role as mother, therefore the children would be looked after and he didn't need to. They would have communicated any concerns they had to him. I wanted to discuss one of Mrs Norris's thoughts. She thinks that if Fanny had accepted Mr Crawford... This could not have happened. Do you think that's true? That's a very interesting concept, really, isn't it? Actually, Miss Crawford says the same thing. But there's often this perception that, you know, a good woman can reform a rake and there's nothing better than a reformed rake for a husband. Is it not so much easier to blame the one person who is innocent in all this, but for whom 
neither party has had really any real respect because they haven't actually understood her strength of character. She's always been the victim, therefore it's easier to replace her in that victim role. No, 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 she's not the victim. She's the one responsible for the situation by not seeing what a good advantage she would have had to have married him. And how dare she refuse this opportunity? I do wonder if part of it is Mrs Norris always blaming everything on Fanny. Though. Oh, I think absolutely. Absolutely. There is there is very much that. But I think it's also this, she should have done a duty and married mm. him. Miss Crawford said, has she accepted him as she ought? He would have taken no pains to be on terms with Mrs Rushworth again. He would have been too happy and too busy. But the problem is, she didn't love him. He demonstrated that essentially he was a hedonist. He was a for here and now. When the opportunity arose, he could not resist the temptation. Shiny object syndrome? Shiny object syndrome to a certain extent. And Mrs Rushworth was... It wasn't a one-sided thing. There was a lot of history there. But do we think this wouldn't have happened if Fanny and Mr Crawford were engaged? I don't think it would have done. But only if Fanny truly loved him. Well, then it would have happened because Fanny didn't love him. Even if, as Jane Austen suggests, Edmund and Mary had got married, then Fanny would have accepted Henry, she wouldn't have loved him. She could have grown to love him. Oh, I think so, yeah. She could have grown to love him. She was certainly not in love with him. Would have respected his ability to to grow and, and to change if he had demonstrated his constancy to her. That is something I believe she could have appreciated and recognised. And then, particularly if, as he said he was going to do, was to spend time with his estate. That's all factors that would have actually influenced Fanny to grow to love him. And if he'd gone out to parties and things, she would have been able, she wouldn't have been the belle of the ball, but she would have been an important part of the ball because A, she would have been a significant member of society by that stage, but she was always somebody that would listen to people. And that's a very attractive trait. So I think, yes, things could have been different, but unfortunately, that's not how Austen wrote it. Susan's the only one that's really happy. Although actually saying that, Fanny's happy too. Fanny thinks she could never do enough for one who seems so much to want her. She's happy looking after her Aunt Bertram. Edmund's not happy trying to bury his feelings and exertion for the relief of his brother. What Fanny's really appreciating is the honesty of Lady Bertram in showing her real gratitude and desire for her company. And it's a heartfelt demonstration when Fanny basically walks in the room and that has to be very gratifying to know that you're loved yes Lady Bertram is a not a deep thinker obviously but she recognizes the value of Fanny and without Mrs Norris undermining her all the time she is aware that this will comprehend the loss of a daughter and a disgrace never to be wiped off that's a big thing for Lady Bertram to realize yes of course, it did help that Sir Thomas is sort of... Here's know. how you should think. Yes. But even for herself, remembering their own history, while definitely not so scandalous by any shape or form, the arrangement between Mr and Mr Price was a bit scandalous and seen as being thrown away. So she understood how society worked. Because yes, it says something about her, well, she just knew she was going to throw off her sister because she'd married beneath her. Yeah. yeah. 
We get the story of how Mrs. Rushworth and Henry got together and how Mansfield finds out about it, which I think is almost a little too convenient. It creates a character called Mr. Harding, an old and most particular friend of Sir Thomas's in London, who somehow seems to be in on the gossip and friends with Mr. Rushworth because Mr. Rushworth comes to him upset. It's the Deus Ex Machina plot device. If the plot had gone, Sir Thomas had reacted immediately, gone off and found them and actually managed to sort of cover the storm, then it would almost like be too convenient. But in actual fact, it hasn't made any difference. Mm. It hasn't changed the outcome Mm. at all. He sends a letter warning Sir Thomas and as Sir Thomas is getting ready to go, he then gets another letter saying, it is public beyond a hope. Mrs Rushworth's servant is telling everyone everything because Mrs. Rushworth Sr. doesn't like Mariah. Mr. Rushworth is a bit unmanageable. Well, she was unmanageable. He is manageable. He was always guided by the last speaker, and this is a bit cutting, by the person who could get hold of him and shut him up. Describes him perfectly, which, as I said, is one reason why the relationship with Mariah was never going to work. Mariah could be quite controlling, But she couldn't bear a wimp. You know, she liked the testosterone. And Mr. Rushworth has got none. Then when Sir Thomas is in London, he discovers the double blow that Julia has run off with Mr. Yates. He called it a bad thing done in the worst manner at the worst time. But Julia was more pardonable than Mariah is it was folly rather than vice. They are going to get married. Yes. That's the important distinction here. If we hark back to Pride and Prejudice, rather like Kitty being terrified that she was going to be locked up in the house for the next 30 years, Julia would probably think that she'd have to go back to Mansfield Park. She'd be isolated, never get to another party, never get to see anybody. That's what we learn in the next chapter, yeah. Basically her thinking is, I can't go home. This is terrible. Yates is my way out. For all he's a fribble, he has been constant. We get a little bit into Sir Thomas's thinking about things, which we don't very often, actually. No. Fanny realises that her refusal of Mr. Crawford would now be justified to Sir Thomas. Mr. Crawford's conduct would have fully acquitted her conduct in refusing him. So she feels a lot more comfortable uh, with her uncle's opinion of her. She thinks that he must be happy about Edmund and that is the only child of his that he's not worried about. But Sir Thomas is worried about him because he is cut off from the woman whom he'd been pursuing with undoubted attachment, which Sir Thomas considered an eligible connection. He's aware that because of the scandal, Edmund can't marry Miss Crawford like it appeared he was going to. Well, he could still do it if... They had basically chosen to discard their sister and brother. He decides to help provide some relief for Edmund and taking Fanny home to her aunt. I wonder if that's giving him an occupation as a means to help him. Or him understanding Fanny's importance to Edmund, or potentially both. I think it's both. And I think at this point, they still tend to think of Fanny as the comforter, as the sister. I don't think either of them are thinking any further than that. But I also think from Sir Thomas' perspective, 
He's a great believer in keeping busy to keep your mind off your troubles. He recognises he's given Edmund a time away so he can stop fulminating. Not that he does. In fact, the one thing that's occurred to me all the way through, and I think this last chapter again also for me, illustrates that out of all the characters, the most human and the most admirable for getting Fanny is Sir Thomas. He has grown from what was almost like a caricature of this stern man to someone who is really focused on his children and was always wanting to do the best but didn't always know how. Fanny's not aware that her uncle is worried about Edmund and Sir Thomas is not aware of Miss Crawford's actual character or he would be thinking very differently. After a couple of days, Edmund finally opens up to Fanny about what happened and it's a source of pain and delight and she's very careful to fix her eyes on any object but Edmund as he speaks. He has a last, he repeats it, that last, last interview with Miss Crawford. And he invested her with all the feelings of shame and wretchedness, which, as Henry's sister, she ought to have known. But he discovers, unfortunately, something very different. No harsher name than folly She saw it only as folly, and that folly stamped only by exposure. It was the detection, not the offence, which she reprobated. She doesn't care that her brother and his sister were carrying on. She thinks they were being silly, that they got caught. She reprobates her brother's folly in being drawn on by a woman whom he had never cared for to do what must lose him the woman he adored. She's not very forgiving to Mariah, who sacrifices a great situation under the idea of being really loved by a man who had long ago made his indifference clear. She's not wrong there. Mariah wanted it to be true. Mariah is the sad example, the lack of control, the letting emotions run, the pride She had the choice to back out of that relationship and she chose not to. Mary, in this instance, is a product of her upbringing and her society. She spent a lot of time with the Admiral who lived with his mistress. And and a lot of it was detection and a lot of arranged marriages. It was quite acceptable to have lovers on the side afterwards. But in most cases, people were not blatantly obvious about it. Like you, Edmund points it to influences in Mary's life. Spoilt. Spoilt. He's still making excuses for her. This is what the world does. How excellent she would have been had she fallen into good hands earlier. Well, suppose if you think of Mrs. Grant. Mrs. Grant is a good person. Mrs. Grant is the older sister. If she'd spent more time with Mrs. Grant, would she have been a better person? Hers is not a cruel nature. She was speaking only as she had been used to hear others speak, as she imagined everybody else would speak. She would not voluntarily give pain to anyone. Her mind is corrupted. But he does say, I may deceive myself. Finally. He was totally enamoured. And we don't want to see in the signs of those of which we're enamoured things which are going to annoy us. We make excuses for it. Miss Crawford thinks that Fanny should have accepted Henry as she ought 
and that she would have fixed him, she would have made him happy forever. But she's very clear that a woman of Fanny's respectability is far out of his reach now. The thing that bothers me is that she thinks that even if Fanny and he had married, Henry and Mrs. Rushworth would have had regular standing flirtations. And that's part of the problem she has, not recognising that that would have still been distressing to Fanny. And therefore, Mr. Crawford shouldn't have done it. Who knows how far these flirtations would have gone? Once he'd received his prize, would he revert? It's this whole issue of constancy. This is very painful to Edmund, and it echoes something that he said in a previous chapter. He would rather have had her refuse him because he couldn't give her the life he wanted rather than the fact that he was a clergyman, right? Yes. Here he said he would rather have the increased pain of losing her than have to think of her as he now did. It has been a creature of my own imagination, not Miss Crawford, that I had been too apt to dwell on for many months past. Could I have restored her to what she appeared to me before? I would infinitely prefer any increase of pain of parting for the sake of carrying with me the right of tenderness and esteem. He wants to think she's a good person. He admits that he had been often sensible of some difference in their opinions, but had not entered his imagination to conceive the difference could be such as she proves it. Miss Crawford thinks that Mrs. Rushworth and Henry should get married, and with good dinners and lunch parties, that it will be fine. There is more liberality and candour on these points than formerly. It's like she's slapped Edmund in the face. Also, this is actually quite an interesting perception because they're moving into the Victorian times. In fact, if this had happened 20 years later, Mariah would have been totally abandoned. Because we look at everything through what came later, sort of the Victorian lens, we forget that things were more liberal, then became more conservative. Yep. He's a little bit condescending in his reply to her. She might soon learn to think more justly. To learn about ourselves is an important thing. And then he leaves, basically. Then she opens the door and she tries to flirt with him to get him to come back. And he is appalled. But he almost goes. He pauses and there's a second and he says that sometimes he still thinks what would have happened if he'd gone in. And he takes this opportunity to hint that his brother's state of health might have something to do with Miss Crawford's wish for a reconciliation. Was she having her own little bitch session? (laughs) She's never told him this before. No. But now that she knows it's completely over between them... She feels safe to do so. It's okay to tell him it's not going to influence his choices. Yes, and does it just add that little bit more status is hugely important? It was always important to Mary, and therefore the potential of him becoming the heir was... Quite attractive. Yes. So there's only one chapter left. We've had a lot of big bombshells and big emotional things going on the last two chapters. And it's also revealing people's characters. We get a little look into people that we don't normally do. We understand Mrs Norris a bit more and Sir Thomas. But actually we get almost everyone's perspective in that chapter who is there. 
Tom's really only a bit of a caricature, but he does appear every now and then. Two points. One is that actually the situation, Tom has a bit of a relapse. We just think of this party animal, but even for him and his health, this is a big shock. This is a friend that he'd introduced. So does he feel a sense of responsibility at the same time as being sick? This is all something that happened when his father was away and he was meant to be in charge. The thing there is that it shows how, again, how valuable Edmund is to his brother. I think it also highlights that all the characters grow. It's not just the main character developing. We do find out in the next chapter that he feels some responsibility and he's changed because of his illness. Edmund, I'm not sure if Edmund has grown. Edmund's still got a bit of growing to do. He does say, perhaps I've deceived myself. In some respects, he grew up a lot sooner. So therefore, you know, he was a lot more mature because of both his ordination and a whole bunch of other responsibilities that he'd had. He's now actually having to doubt his maturity, which up till then I think he's had a lot of confidence about, particularly with his relationship to Fanny. He's always known what was right and done what was right, but he's... He hasn't understood people as well. No. And I think that's what's made him grow. He can't take people at face value, which is what I think he was tending to do beforehand. Lots of threads to wrap up in the last chapter coming soon. This is our summary of chapter 47 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!